Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Yeah, hey, Alex. Yeah, doing all right, mate. It's uh, been an all right week. Uh, interesting start to the season. But, uh, yeah, look, it's it's good to have football back, all in all. I think, uh, you know, a lot to get excited about. And uh, I guess it's just uh, that stage of the season when we have to start getting match fit for, uh, for the late stay-ups. That's it. That's it. And it's uh, yeah, good to have football back. Plenty to talk about. Plenty to uh, get our teeth into, uh, as it were. Um, I am just recovering from a cold, so forgive me for probably a bit of a stuffy-nosed sound to my voice. But look, we do, we'll dive straight into it with that Norwich game last weekend. And um, it seemed for all of the 94, 95 minutes that it was going the way of a lot of our pre-season games and it was destined for a 1-1 finish until... You know, you'd probably say Norwich deserved to to win the game, so it was probably a deserved winner that they scored right at the end there. Um, but I guess starting with the first half in particular, what was your sort of sense, I suppose, of of the way we were playing, and and obviously took the lead through Delat. But what was your sense of of that game? Yeah, it, it was uh, as you kind of mentioned, one of those games where uh, it was unbelievable, to be honest. When uh, we we took the lead, and um, you know, as you kind of touched on, it was an unbelievable um, turn of events in in lap scoring, and and kind of you know, someone who we'd speculated on in the preseason about not having the the greatest goal scoring record for all of the you know the half and puff, and I guess um, qualities that you know he, he certainly seems to present to. To score a goal of that quality, um, you know, I was pinching myself when I, I saw that we we led. Um, and I guess you know, if you're if you're a Norwich fan watching that game, you would have been bewildered at some of the chances that you know didn't find their way to the to the back of the net. So uh, we really weathered a storm. And I, I don't know if it, we we weathered a storm through good defending or just you know pure luck, really. Uh, so to go in at half time. Uh, you know, one all, uh, when it very easily could have been a one nil lead at half time if it wasn't for that, you know, excellent finish. Um, an incredibly remarkable game to watch. And uh, look, it's, it, we look scared. I think, on the, uh, from all the things that Rosinia talks about with his philosophy, is he does want players to be brave on the ball. He wants us to play out from the back and he wants us to be able to control possession and, and hold the ball so that we're not giving, you know, teams that sniff. And, uh, I mean, that's probably many, many championship managers' philosophy, but he's really, you know, made a conscious effort to stick to it. So I thought in trying to do that, uh, we struggled. And I don't know if that was just because it was the first day of the season and there was a lot of nervous energy. Uh, I don't know if you caught the the post-match uh, press conference with him where he talked about at halftime actually needing to calm the players down. And I thought that he summed it up brilliantly. I thought that was exactly what it looked like. We, we were very overhyped. Um, maybe overstimulated and, and really tried to maybe do too much as far as stick to this philosophy, whereas um, in, in some ways we kind of look nervous on the ball because of that. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I feel like I'm talking in circles here. Interesting game. Uh, Norwich looked by far the better side, but as you said, the, the longer the game went on, uh, the more confident we got in um, in the sense that we could have actually stolen a point from it, which uh, would have been a, 
a very brave point given the balance and given the fact that our performance, with the exception of the individual goal by the lap, really wasn't anything to um, to write home about. Yeah, I certainly felt like we built into it in the second half. That first half, there was a couple of times where, you know, the goalpost came to our rescue with some of those shots from Norwich. And as you said, you know, on another day, they could have had quite a few goals in that first half. Um, it, it is an interesting one. And I think I think what I'm seeing a lot through social media and other platforms from City fans is there's a lot of people jumping to conclusions or, or drawing bigger conclusions than would be the case from a single game where... I sort of like to think of it as the fact if this was a game that was being played in the middle of December, would we have the same sorts of overreactions or concerns about the team as we are having having it in the first game of the season? And um, I think, you know, obviously there's the natural expectation of trying to extrapolate from this and say, well, if this is how we're going to play throughout the season, then we're in trouble. But but as you say, I think there's that element of being overhyped and sort of saying you've had the whole summer to build up to this game and, and now we're here and, and how you're going to perform in this game. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the next couple of games and we need to sort of see this style of play play out you know, through a sample of games to really draw any big conclusions. But as you sort of said, even just that second half was a step up on that first half and, and really uh, saw an improved performance. Is, is there any part of you that kind of, you know, speculates on the, the team that um, I guess that is Norwich? Um, being one of the bigger fish in in the championship pond, I guess. Like, uh, if you think back to the to the season before, where we, you know, were away at Preston and and pulled that remarkable four one mm. victory, is is that part of it? Does that you know in any way, shape, or form factor into to your thinking on on the the nerves that perhaps were were present on the opening day? I mean, funnily enough. For the players, potentially, because the players might view it in the same way. But, I mean, personally, I actually... There have been a lot of discussion in the pre-season about how poor Norwich had been over the off-season in terms of their recruitment, in terms of who they'd lost, in terms of, you know, even just down to the fact that Wagner hasn't had a great track record as a manager outside of a, you know, a little purple patch with Huddersfield getting them promoted to the Premier League. So there was actually a lot of cause for concern for Norwich in a lot of different circles. Um, now, of course, that's, that can be completely different from what the players are experiencing, what the players perceive. And as you say, I mean, they were Norwich were a Premier League side not too long ago. So certainly it would be seen as a bigger fixture in that sense. Um, it'd be really interesting to see in a similar way, almost, that even though Chef Wednesday have come up from League One, it's the local derby. It's, you know, you've got your Regan Slater going up against you know, his boyhood rivals, that sort of thing. There'd be a lot of feeling in the squad as well of going into that game, first home game of the season, all of that as well. Um, so it will be really interesting to see how Rossini goes with coaching the players and, and preparing them mentally for these sorts of games. Because um, at the end of the day, if we want to be up there challenging for the top six, for the top two, You've almost got to put that stuff out of your mind and you've got to almost be saying we are work we deserve to be in these matches and deserve to do better than we're doing as we did against norwich um so look it, it could certainly have played a part and and that's why i think people trying to jump to conclusions or extrapolate too much from a single game you know we'll talk about the doncaster game in a second but it is a single league game at this stage um mm. there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge um in that sense um I guess the other element to talk about with this game is, is you know, the, the new players or, or how you saw some of the players looking, uh, you know, Ruben Vinagre debuting on the left-hand side. Probably a disappointing debut from my perspective. I actually didn't realise until I looked at the stats afterwards that he, he was actually quite poor. And I don't know, you you were quite critical of uh, Louis Coyle during the game, but when you actually look at Vinagre's stats, he was 
arguably even worse. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, and I, yeah, certainly in our group chat, I was um, you know, very quick to throw stones at Louis Coyle's direction, but I think it probably shone out more um, in in the way that I, I talked about the way that I felt was particularly if you want to play the Rosinha philosophy, uh, Louis Coyle just looked very wasteful on the ball, and uh, a lot of the opportunities that Norwich had, um, you know, they were pressing, they were playing quite high pressure and certainly had the momentum in that first half. And I thought Louis Coyle defended quite well. It was just that when, uh, you know, he was on the ball uh, and looking to play out, he just gave away far too far too many possessions and um, and really put us back under the pump and made it really difficult to kind of get a foothold in the game and, and take some of the pressure off by playing, you know, some element of attacking football. I agree. I, I didn't really see much of, um, you know, in Vinegre, to, to warrant the fact that he was kind of our big off-season signing. Uh, and so, you know, certainly from that uh, standpoint, I was, I was disappointed. But, uh, you know, I guess the, the the feature of the match was certainly the way that Delap got forward. And uh, as a new signing, he couldn't really hope for a better debut. I think he scored in the, the 20th minute or, or, or around about uh, that mark. And and really, he was the, the bright spot going forward with... You know, maybe Regan Slater, I know he's obviously not a new player, but they, to me, seem to be the, uh, you know, the two kind of focal points where if anything good was going to happen, um, it, it, it did or was going to come from them. And so, yeah, I thought, as you said, Venegre wasn't wasn't anywhere near what I expected um, or debut. I thought the lap uh, far surpassed my expectations. So, um, it, it, yeah. No. Yeah, I mean, the lap for me... And I heard a bit of talk about him in preseason and, and as we talked about him in our prediction episode where, you know, as much as you don't want to heap that sort of pressure on a striker, there is such a, a weight of expectation on a striker's shoulders where if they can get that goal in the first or second game, it can just define their season in such a positive way because it can give them that confidence to go on with it. And similarly, you know, if they if they struggle and don't score for the first couple of games, it can really make it tough for them to get going after that point. So for him to score in the manner that he did as well, it wasn't like it was a scuffed shot. It wasn't as if it was a penalty or something like that. It was a proper well-taken goal, harassing the defence, winning the ball and really great finish on him. It's it's such a positive for him. And, and the fact that it wasn't even just the goal, it was his all-round play as well. You know, you look at the fact that he was he was providing an outball for the defence and, and the midfield he was holding the play up well. He was, you know, um, winning fouls from Norwich players. Um, he, he he just had this all-round element to his game that would have filled his teammates with a lot of confidence as well because I'm sure having a, a 20-year-old striker leading the line um, with, you know, as a player that you've not necessarily had a whole lot to do with before that point, you don't necessarily know what they're all about in a professional competitive game. It would have filled the, the rest of the team with such confidence and given them that that sort of reliance on his ability. Yeah, and it wasn't just that. I know there was in the second half that um, the shot that he had saved as well from range. But as you said, every every single time he seemed to to kind of get uh, get possession of the ball, is he looked dangerous, and he looked dangerous from deep. He was confident to carry it out the defenders, and you know, and pull the trigger. And I think in a game like that, when you're under the pump, that's exactly what we're going to be asking of you know our, our forward men to to be able to, to offer some level of threat. And I think it gives you hope, you know, later in the season. As you said, if that game had been, you know, judged on, if that's still what we look like in December, um, you know, that's that's really different. But you know, the reality is that away from home in the championship, there are going to be games where you're going to experience, you know, long periods of pressure under the pump, and you want to make sure that when you do get 
the opportunity to counter that you offer some level of threat and you know Ostapinian probably isn't that type of player he's he, you know he's not built on pace the fact that you can give the ball to to lap near halfway and we can see that he can turn on the ball and straight away run at defenders and you know have some level of um a finish on him i think you know bodes really well for the future and you know, if, if you're going to be on debut and look for an opportunity to endear yourself to your new fans, uh, you know, he, he didn't, couldn't really have done more on, um, on Saturday. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a fine performance. And I just, I was really, um, really impressed with what I saw. That's probably a good segue then to give our votes for the game if you wanted to kick us off. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's a, without a shadow of a doubt, I think Dilap has to have the three points. Uh, I've alluded to it. I, I would have given Regan Slater the two. And um, and Matty Ingram got one point for me, just you know, by by sheer way of whether it was <laughs> from great keeping or or sheer luck. The fact that uh, given the amount of pressure that we sustained, that you know he only conceded one goal, and and that one goal was was a screamer of that. So uh, he snuck in for the one point for mine. How did you say it? Yeah, good chat. Look, I was pretty much the same as you. I just flipped Ingram and Slater, so I still had Delap as man of the match uh, in my view. Um, I have two votes for Ingram just because, as you say, the weight of shots that he was facing, especially in that first half, uh, made a terrific save um, midway through that half as well, which, um, you know, point blank save, which is what he's always been reliable reliable in doing. Um, I think, you know, there's plenty of discussion around footwork and and distribution and that sort of thing. But, you know, primarily as a shot stopper, Ingram is uh, pretty top notch. Um, And then, yeah, Slater for the one vote, I thought, you know, whilst he... um, the midfield got bypassed a lot of the game um, in, in, in all manners of, of the game. But I think when he got forward into the box, his his footwork and his ability to drive forward and create chances in the box, you know, we saw it a couple of times last season, but I'm sure he'll draw, you know, his fair share of penalties because of the way that he can get into the box and move the ball um, between defenders, uh, create create opportunities as well. So he'll be scoring and, and creating chances for players um, as well. So I thought that was really impressive from him. Okay, well, let's talk the Doncaster game. Um, and as full disclosure, I haven't actually watched the full game. I've, I've seen highlights and I've read a fair bit about this game. So I, I won't talk about it as if I've seen the game in, in any sense uh, in that way. I, I don't think you've seen the game either, have you, Logan? Uh, I've seen the highlights. I I've seen the highlights. I think it sounds as if we, we got off pretty lightly having just seen the highlights because it sounds like it was a pretty poor display. Uh, Rossini himself also pretty critical of the display um, of the players. Um, You know, using the context of the discussion for that Norwich game of saying, you know, we are just a couple of games into the season and not trying to draw too many conclusions. I suppose the the only concern I'd have really is it's sort of two games into the season, you know, a goal scored in each game, losing the games 2-1. This one... You know, you have the, the the first goal being sort of the quintessential bugbear goal that people had last season of playing out from the back, Traore with a poor touch, kind of getting letting Doncaster into the game. But, mm. and look, obviously highlights are going to sort of mask some of the issues, but I actually thought the way that we were playing in that first half and, and the way that we won the ball for our goal was really positive. And I think clearly the players sort of went into their shells once we conceded and they got a bit more concerned about the game. But I'm struggling to get too over over the top about this performance at this stage. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, I think you know week one the focus is definitely on the championship season and around one of the league cup. I, I've kind of always held the philosophy with league cups, and and I don't know if this is a defeatist attitude, 
but uh, there's very much a perception that you don't really care about it till you find yourself in a position where you know there's something to get excited about so if that's like the round of 16 or you know you find yourself in the like in the semis well all of a sudden it becomes a, a big day out for the club and you, you get excited about the prospect of you know of winning silverware or potentially booking a date with one of the you know the biggest clubs in the country and when you're playing you know you know no disrespect to the likes of donny or you know a, a lesser known lesser known club this early on in the season it's it's definitely not um you know something that that features in the the planning um other than the fact that it's an opportunity for for players to get a run out and you know see what potential other squads or you know 50% of the squad kind of look like. And and that's very much, if there is a disappointing aspect to, to draw from this fixture, it's the fact that it was a different squad to the one that played against Norwich and it didn't perform. Mm. And and I, th- I think that if we're, you know, if, if, if that's the, the takeaway, then it shows that this early on in the season, there's still a lot of work to be done, which in some ways it tells us what we already know. So yeah. I'm not... I'm not about to to get on the you know on the podcast and start talking about how it's it's doom and gloom after one week of the season because we've been bundled out of the league cup. Um, you know, if the league cup was our expectation of the season that we had to win the league cup, well then you know well then we can start to start uh, preaching misery and, and and sadness and doom and gloom. But it, it's just not it's it's not a feature, and and I'm really not perturbed by it other than the fact that. There's a lot more football to be played and we really do need to start showing it, signs of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and, and if, if you're sort of looking at it as, well, look, you know, we've been embarrassed and we've lost to this lower league club. I'd rather be having that sort of shock to the system in a league cup match, which doesn't have an impact on our league season, rather than, you know, beating Doncaster in the cup, but then losing to Chef Wednesday and going, oh, geez, we've just lost to a club that's been promoted from League One and have, you know, I, I'd rather... You know, I say this now, we could still lose to Chef Wednesday. Of course, I'm not banking the three points. But I guess what I mean is that with the transfer window still open and, uh, you know, Rosinha's comments today or yesterday about the fact that we're getting pretty close to a couple of signings, you'd like to think that these sorts of shocks to the system are actually a positive in saying, here's a reality check. Here's what the, the, the capabilities of the squad currently are. And the fact that, yeah, we still do need a few additions to really get to where we want to get to. Absolutely. And if anything else can be drawn from that, it's an opportunity for Liam Senior to to show players that, you know, the preseason result and, you know, I know we accumulated a lot of draws, but, you know, largely I think all were undefeated. Uh, we very much need to understand that, like, with, with the season starting, it's it's not okay to put in subpar performances, particularly if you are one of those shadow players that, you know, is looking for a run in the first team, then you need to really do something to be able to displace that, the person that he's given the start to. And so that's, you know, it, it, we need to be realistic. And I think that if, if as you said at the start, if, if at December we're having these conversations and we've gone on a losing run where, you know, we're out of the, the other cup and there's not really much to get excited about and it looks like it's a survival season, then by all means we can start to have a, a conversation about how poor the football is. But until we've, you know, seen another four, five, six games, I think that it's just far too early to comment. Yeah, and I guess, you know, on a positive um, front, 
Uh, Michaelo looked pretty positive. Um, obviously, only saw him in the highlights, creating the the opportunity for Oscar's first goal. And Oscar, I don't know what it is about him. He just seems to have a knack for being in the right place at the right time, time and time again. And it's one of those things where you sort of look at it and go, oh, well, geez, he's lucky. He, he happened to be there. And you go, yeah, but when he does it sort of 15 or 20 times, is it luck or is it actually just knowing where he needs to be? He just has that presence about him where he's very willing to throw himself about and has a, a very, um, what's the word, he looks very coordinated and has a great sense of reaction time. So when those opportunities of like, you know, the pinball balls kind of just appear at his feet, it, it, it very much and it looks like scuffed. He, you see the replay and it's kind of intentional that he's been able to get himself in that position and angle the ball in the right direction. So, yeah, I kind of, I tend to agree that the build-up play in most of Oscar's goals, look always looks extremely sus. But when he does find himself to the opportunity to be on the end of it, it always seems to be directed the right way. So, you know, fair play to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's segue then. So what we do every couple of years is we, we sort of do a – we take stock on the squad. We'll do a bit of a review of a different player each week. Um, and I found it interesting to start with Matt Ingram, who, who caps mm. his um, City career with 100 appearances against Norwich. I think he's the only player that survives from the last time we did this series. So I had a, had a listen to that the other day um, when I chatted to Dan about Matt Ingram way back in the League One season when he was the understudy to George Long. And at the time, we were sort of saying that he was, you know, he was the deserved number one over George Long. Um, and, and he was sort of making his way into the City team. And, and now we're sort of almost sitting here saying, is he on his way out in terms of whether the club's recruiting a new goalkeeper. And, and we've seen him. He's sort of seen off a couple of challenges now because he obviously had Nathan Baxter as his competition two seasons ago. Then he had Carl Dal- Carl Darlow last season and Baxter again last season. And he's seen off both of them. Um, and he's still here as as the, the current number one anyway. Um, yeah, so obviously 101 appearances now with that appearance against Doncaster. 36 clean sheets in that time. Um, signed on a free transfer from QPI back all the way back in 2019. It's a it's a pretty reasonable bit of business for what at the time was a pretty un, un noteworthy signing, I suppose. Um, what, what's your take on on Ingram City career? Ingram City career has been like as you said. There's not really anything to pinpoint and say that you know he's an awful player. I can certainly remember you know worse keepers in in previous years that certainly in the era that we've been watching City. Um, and he's not a name that that I would in any way, shape or form kind of, you know, put in that conversation as the, the worst keepers we've seen. Um, but I think the biggest undoing of Matt Ingram's career is the fact that we got to see that window where he was there when Darlow was. And I think that the fact of the matter is Darlow is just a better keeper. And so from from a City fan's perspective, it, it, we're quite, he's kind of unlucky because we just bemoan the fact that it's kind of, if anything, shone a light on the fact that there's far better keepers out there that around, you know, uh, I guess Darlow's wages are a different problem, but it kind of shows what is available. Um, so without Ingram, you know, doing anything wrong, as you said, like we talked about him before in making our three two ones on the opening day of the season, um, and both of us had him in the conversation, it's just been a, um, a very safe kind of career at City where he hasn't done too much wrong, but at the same time hasn't set the world on fire and we haven't really shown that much ambition to replace him. Yeah, it's it's a crazy one when you think, when you reflect on the fact that he's made 100 City appearances, which I don't know the exact numbers, but that's got to be 
in the same ballpark as your Alan McGregor's. It's going to be more than your Jakubovic. It's going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be less than my hill. My hill would have had more than that. But but it's a, it's a solid number of appearances. But I just can't think that in five years' time, we're not going to look back and say, oh, yeah, he's a, you know, he's a city keeper that I think of when you think of goalkeepers at Hull City. Like, he, he's just so... And, and I, I really don't mean that in, dis, in a disparaging way, but it's just like... As you say, I mean, he doesn't do anything particularly wrong, but he also doesn't do anything particularly amazing either. So he's just very reliable, which is good, but it just makes it hard to, as you say, when you then get presented with, here's a better keeper, you go, well, yeah, you know, Darlow is a better keeper. Um, and it's why I suppose managers keep trying to bring in a better keeper. And it's it's just a really funny one. I think this is a conversation in some ways kind of transcends the the city podcast when we talk about goalkeepers, but so much of a keeper to me seems these days is based on personality. Like we, we really, you know, seem to cherish goalkeepers that are really, you know, outspoken in kind of celebrating or screaming at defenders or whatever it is. Like, you know, Jakubovic for me was like, let's not forget how horrible the start of his career yeah. at City was and how underwhelming the guy against was. Against opposition as well. <laughs> That's right. And and all of a sudden, you know, he, he went on a, a run of games where it was quality, but because he spoke so, um, you know, positively of the City fans and really was, was kind of animated in, in his he was approach. A pretty, yeah, like, he was a bit of a show pony, wasn't he? That's that's right. And as soon as he went down that, that track, all of a sudden, like City fans quickly forgot about the the grim, uh, grim period that, that we experienced under Jakubovic and we're calling for, like, we need to get him back from Leicester. It was criminal that he was sold for, you know, for, for church change. And I just think that that's the type of stuff that we really need to um, kind of remember that being, a, being a, a quiet and reliable goalkeeper actually probably lends itself to he's better than we think. Um, yeah. Be- because we're not speaking of him week in, week out, saying that, you know, there's another howler. I don't know how he goes as far as uh, playing out from the back. I don't think that he's necessarily a, a sweeper keeper that fits the Rossinha philosophy of like starting starting attacks from the back. But um, you know, it's uh, it, it also doesn't look at least initially that we've got uh, an urgency to to replace him. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, and so I mean, that- like. We didn't really touch on it with the Doncaster game. I know that there was a lot of criticism of him, and I think pretty unfairly, about the fact that Doncaster apparently, once they clocked on to our strategy, basically just went, well, we're not going to press the goalkeeper. We're going to let him mm. have the ball. We'll just man-mark the defence. And Ingram just went, well, oh, crap, what do I do? And he just do do? held the ball. Yep. And, he, and, and everyone got pretty fed up with him doing that. But at the same time, you think, well, you've got to have the players in front of him have got to move and make options and give him people to pass it to. So it's a bit unfair. I mean, obviously he's obviously going to be the main focus when it comes to criticism of playing out for the back because everything starts with him. Um, but it's also pretty unfair. So I think he's in a pretty likeless sort of position at the moment as a city keeper, but you know, a hundred appearances, 36 clean sheets. It's sort of one in three, bit bit more than one in three. That's not, that's not horrible. It's, it's a pretty, pretty decent career. Well, and especially when you consider the, you know, the period that we've we've been on, where we've we've been through a few managers, and we haven't exactly been setting the world on fire as, as far as promotions go, with the exception of, you know, that League One um, campaign. But I, I, yeah, in the fact that he's kind of, you know, been the gatekeeper of of that time period, that's that's certainly not, um, you know, a, a poor record by any means. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him in the uh, in the next six months or so. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, let's wrap things up then and, and chat Chef Wednesday. That's uh, who we're facing mm-hmm. tomorrow night, uh, midnight Australian time, um, just promoted from League One. It, it's actually very funny when I look at the, the the nature of their off-season when I think of, you know, obviously probably the most memorable fixture against them in recent times being the playoff final at Wembley, where shortly after that, Bruce quit the club and we were sort of thrown into turmoil as we went up to the Premier League in a quite similar way. I mean, Chef Wednesday have been promoted uh, with a with a Windass scoring the winning goal at Wembley for them, mm. um, with Darren Moore then, you know, depending on who you listen to, either being sacked or or walking away from the job at Chef Wednesday, over wages or transfers or whatever it might might be, um, replaced by Shisko Munez Munoz, uh, who was the Watford manager, got them promoted a couple of years ago. So you know, a little bit of pedigree to him, but from all reports, that Watford squad was pretty talented and, and he just had to go in and basically not stuff things up, which um, which he managed to do. Um, makes it a pretty interesting transition period for them. I know they've, they've made a few signings recently, so they've sort of steadied the ship a little bit, but there did seem to be a lot of concerns around them as they came up uh, to the championship. And then if they faced Southampton on the opening day um, of the season and, and didn't, didn't really disgrace themselves. They lost 2-1 with a late goal themselves, so pretty similar to us. Um, but, uh, look, it's, you know, first home game of the season. We sort of talked about this before, but first home game of the season, Yorkshire Derby of sorts, um, you know, it's a great opportunity. If City can come out with a really positive performance, then you'd think that a lot of the the concerns and criticisms of the first week could get washed away. Yeah, certainly. I think that that's, we, we never start looking at the league table until you've kind of watched at least like 10, 15 rounds. And the opening day of a season isn't an indicator by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, let's not forget that I think after round five or round six last season, we were first. So um, it de- definitely gives you a, um, you know, a, a perspective, but you're right. Like you do want to get on, get back on the horse really quickly. Uh, the last thing you want to do is heading into, I think it's the international break week, like usually like the fourth fourth or fifth round. I think we play yeah. like three games before we have a break. The last thing you want to do is get to that period without having experienced the win. And I think that, um, you know, Yorkshire Derby is is a very, very quick fire way to, you know, forget the, the fact that we didn't get any points on the opening day against Norwich, despite the fact that, you know, from all reports, we probably could have. But we don't want to get to the end of the season and start counting points back and go, oh, if we only had a taking that held on for that extra 30 seconds against Norwich or whatever it was. Um, and, and the easiest way to do that is to, to bank threes. Yeah, no doubt. So are you feeling, I suppose, positive heading into the, I mean, it's hard to be overly positive given the first two games, but I, I suppose first game at home for the season against a promoted team, but must be reasonably positive that we can get a, a good performance out of this one. Look, I'm taking the Doncaster result out of it. And I think that, a lot of confidence will actually be taken from the Norwich game, given the fact that in no way, shape or form did we perform how the gaffer would have liked, how the players would have liked and away from home at Norwich, no less. Like Carrow Road is a very tough place to go. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, we've we've had that poor result against Donny probably means that they'll be almost more up for the local derby at home and will feel not necessarily a sense of pressure, but a, a real strong desire to, to get on the board and do well. I'm, I'm feeling quite confident about this game and that's that's not a disrespect to to Chef Wednesday at all. I just, I do think that, that City will have learnt from from the opening week and I'm, I'm very primed to see a, a very positive uh, performance against, against Wednesday. 
And and then I guess in terms of the lineup, um, I think last week probably the biggest surprise was Christy not starting and, and having Coyle in the yeah. team. Um, w- would you say I, it's hard to know? I think Christy started in the League Cup game, and, and by all reports, is pretty rusty. Um, so perhaps he's not quite ready to go from the start against Wednesday. But if he is, I suspect that would be probably the main change to the to the lineup. Look, potentially. I also do think that Rosinha seems to have a blind love for Coyle. I think he he really mm. appreciates the fact that he's a, a homegrown boy and the fact that anything that you say about Louis Coyle and, you know, as much as I've kind of slated him for his performance on the ball, um, you know, he is a he is a workman-like performer and, and he won't let you down as far as effort goes. And I think that, you know, those characters in the dressing room, particularly when you're trying to implement a new playing philosophy, um, are really important. And so uh, as much as I thought Christie was one of our best performers uh, last year, uh, I thought he, he was unbelievable. Like I was amazed at how good he was you know, going forward and, and some of the, the individual or patches of individual brilliance he showed was, was just unreal. But as you said, he, he did look a little bit rusty and I wouldn't be surprised if we seen you back to Coyle for a little bit longer. Um, I think Christie's probably long-term the, you know, the, the front runner. But I, I just, uh, I certainly don't think that Coyle has uh, gone down in stock after his his first week. And if he was to start this weekend, I, I wouldn't by any stretch be surprised. Yeah, and, and then I guess the other one is um, Oscar versus. Well, I don't know if it's Oscar versus Delap or whether you throw them both in together. And um, it seemed as if against Norwich, we had two fans sort of operating as either that second striker or, or kind of in behind, but it's almost, it's quite a difficult one because you had Delap scoring against Norwich and Oscar scoring against Doncaster. It's, you know, you got two strikers in form. And Tufan was fairly quiet against Norwich, I thought. I, I really was kind of disappointed given what we'd seen from him in the preseason. I thought Player he was... Of the season gonna, in waiting. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. Like, it was, it was certainly a conversation. And the fact that he didn't perform on the opening day, um, you know, I, I don't think Rescind is that fickle. I think that this stage he's going to try and kind of stick to a, an 11, work out what his best formation is and, and and try and give them a little bit of run of games. I know that that doesn't always work with like the tactical nows for, you know, for the team that we're lining up against. But the fact that it is at home may suggest somewhat of a change in shape. And I think we'll really look to kind of play a lot more attacking against, um, against Wednesday. I'd, I'd be surprised if, you know, He's defensive-minded on, on the opening home game of the season. So, um, yeah, I, I think Oscar, if anything, will probably come off the bench. I, Delap definitely has to start, um, given you know his, his performance on the opening day. Yeah, the conversation for Oscar to be in there is there, but I, I just don't think we'll see it. And then score prediction for this one? Yeah, look, I, it, it's a hard one to predict, but I do feel confident. I, I think I'm being super ambitious, but I'm going to say 2-0 City. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same. So I'll go 2-0 as well. Maybe a 2-1 if they can sneak a goal. But, I, I yeah, I think at home we'll be super keen to sort of rectify the, the, the last two performances and I'm hoping that we can get on the score sheet in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, look, thank you for joining me for this one, Logan. My pleasure, Alex. Always good to be here. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. Um, we're a little bit later this week than usual, but we'll be back next week to review that Sheffield Wednesday game and look ahead to the next game of the season. But until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, The Tigers Down Under. 
For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook group, or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber Black. There's no turning back cause you're out